so I have a couple of uh, self-portraits uh, from Vincent Van Gogh's, probably uh, you know one of my favorite. I did a uh, I did a couple of projects and papers on him when I was uh, in seminary. Uh, he is a former minister and battled with uh, severe depression. Obviously, committed suicide. Uh, but this is a self-portrait that he did of himself, and it's just interesting to. I mean, you can see uh, you can see the raw emotion in his face. Uh, you can see uh, the pain. I mean, this is a guy that, that uh, he only sold one painting in his life. He only sold one painting. Really was, uh, he, had a, he had one teacher, but you know, virtually self-taught and uh, did a variety of um, self-portraits throughout his life. And then the next slide is hit what most people think is his last uh, self-portrait. Uh, you can see, uh, I don't know if you can see that. The colors in this don't really show up, but it's a very vibrant, striking um, self-portrait uh, just a few months before he committed suicide. Um, but he wrote, he wrote letters to his brother, and if I think about it, I'll, um, I'll, if, if you want to, to read some of the stuff that I've written about him, it's really kind of interesting. I broke down his letters to his brother and kind of pieced together a trajectory of his life with um, some of his work. But he wrote this to his brother after, um, after painting this. He said, you will need to study the picture for a time. I hope you will notice that my facial expressions have become much calmer, although my eyes have the same insecure look as before, or at least it appears to me. Um, like I said, Van Gogh was a, a minister, uh, amazing artist, um, but he, he saw himself through a particular lens, right? And his self-portraits really depict how he viewed himself, how he felt, uh, and the, the colors and everything really bring to life um, the emotion. And I want to connect this to uh, what Paul is saying here in Ephesians which I think he's drilling down at a few different things, that we've, we've carried this thread of Ephesians from grace to how grace works itself out practically in our lives. And then what we read today really kind of pieces together, all right, well, this are some characteristics of a Christian life, how, how, we, should, how we should live, what should our morals be, what should our, our interactions with each other and the world look like. Um, Vingo's life was full of tragedy. Our life is, is a mixture of highs and lows, joys, pains, and suffering. Um, and I think Paul clearly in this passage recognizes um, anger as a particular emotion that is unavoidable, right? He says, uh, uh, be angry without sinning, right? Which is essentially, you know, don't let your anger don't let your anger consume you. I think we've all probably known somebody whose anger and resentment so overtook every part of them that they weren't able to function and live in the world normally. There's this great documentary on Netflix called The Staircase. Has anybody seen this? The, do the Staircase? Uh, it's this documentary, and um, in The Staircase, uh, someone dies, and the sister of this person is so all consumed with anger and resentment that decades later, you can see it, it still, it drives her entire life, this anger and this bitter, 
this bitterness that she carries is so much who she is at that point, right? And Paul says, be angry without sinning. Don't let your anger consume you. Anger is a natural human emotion. Uh, we are going to get angry, and some forms of anger are actually healthy and moral, but don't let your anger consume you. Does anybody want to hear about one of my angriest moments? Yeah. All right. So, um, it's about the, the baseball game that I never played. So spring of my junior year of high school, some of you might not know, uh, I was a baseball player f uh, for like the first basically 18 years of my life. That's almost all of what I did. So I uh, got moved up to varsity baseball spring of my junior year just in time for the playoffs. And we played, uh, we were supposed to play an exhibition game before playoffs, right? And I woke up on this Saturday morning feeling so terrible. You know, like when your limbs like feel like they're just got like 100 pound weights on them that you can barely pull yourself out of bed? That's how I woke up this morning. So I wake up, I feel so ter absolutely terrible. One of the, my sickest days of my entire life, all right? First varsity baseball game. So I wake up, go downstairs, tell my mom I'm feeling terrible. Oh, by the way, it's SAT morning. So I have to take the SATs. So I go down to the local community college to take my SATs. That's going to go really well. Uh, and I took, a <laughs> I took a bunch of Kleenexes with me, right? So I, I have all these Kleenexes like in my pockets and stuff. I blow through these Kleenexes in like the first 30 minutes of the test. And I can viscerally remember taking the SATs and holding my nose over the side of the, this old classroom desk, and my nose is like dripping on the tile floor. Mm, dripping, just like a faucet. So somehow I survived the SATs. I know you're all sufficiently grossed out now. Uh, so I survived the SATs. I get home, and I still feel awful. And my parents are very sure, you're going to play this baseball game. Like, you got moved up, you are going to play this baseball Like, I could barely make it through the morning. I, there's no way I can, I can make it. I'm basically dead. So we get into this huge argument, like you do when you're in high school, and I end up punching my dresser. Punched a hole right in my dresser. Not smart. Hands all swollen, bleeding. The whole thing, really, teenage rage, all right in one moment. Anger is a natural emotion. It happens. It happens to everybody. Um, I didn't play. I didn't go. I think I slept for like the next 14 hours. I don't really remember much after that. Um, but I remember one of my angriest moments. My, I, my parents still have that dresser. And every time I go home to visit my parents, I like look at that hole and think about that moment. It's not one of my, not one of my proudest moments. But... Maybe you can relate. Maybe you, maybe you have a, a moment like that that you can think of where you were, you were just angry, and it is what it is. It happens. Paul says anger is a natural human emotion. But don't let your anger lead to sin. Don't let your anger consume you. So I don't think Paul here is just trying to give us another set of do's and don'ts. I don't think Paul is trying to give us another set of laws here. He's trying to build something deeper within us. Paul built this, uh, 
this message from Ephesians 1. Paul's in prison writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's trying to make a distinction. You know, just as a side note, I, uh, I think it's important to make a distinction between um, anger and kind of our current culture's call for civility and politeness. Is anybody familiar with this in our current society? Um, Paul is not saying don't be, um, don't be angry at injustice. Uh, there are white supremacist rally right now in Washington, D.C. There's a white supremacist rally uh, a year after the white supremacy rally in Charlottesville, right? Paul isn't saying don't be angry at injustice. There's a time and a place to call out bigotry, xenophobia, racism. This is not what Paul is talking about. Um, there's, it's right and necessary to be angry at the systems of injustice, people that are being marginalized and oppressed in our country and around the world. Moral anger for justice, I think, is actually an example of what Paul is trying to create within the church in Ephesus, that this grace that we've been consumed with then moves in our lives to help people. Uh, this is a righteous type of anger that comes from a deep well of hope in the God that has already started to make all things new in Jesus. So how does grace move in your life? This is what Paul, last week we talked about it and I think continues this week. How does grace move in your life? Ephesians is laying a foundation for understanding our relationship with God through Christ in the grace, um, in grace and not what you have done in your own life. So the grace in Christ undergirds all that we do um, and is not reliant for us to self-generate a bunch of good works. So it's not like, oh, I should just be a better person today. There's nothing you could have ever done in your life that prevents you from the pure abundance of God's love and grace. It's nothing you could have ever done in your life. The work of God is already complete in you. There's nothing that can stop that all-consuming love of God for you. And I think that's generally what grace is. Grace is just a word that means God's love for you is so deep and so true that it has always existed. A few weeks ago, we read in Ephesians, For God chose us in God before the foundation of the world, to be home, holy and blameless in God's presence. So before the universe, 13.8 billion years ago, you were in God and God was in you. God chose you, loved you, and this presence is pure grace. So how do we see ourselves? We're thinking about the, the idea of a self-portrait. How do we view ourselves? Grace transforms and moves in our lives and changes the way that we interact with our world. Uh, I like the idea of eschatological realism, which, which says God is pulling you into the future of your true self. So you're not, uh, you do not consist of your mistakes, your failures, what you did or said, or the things that you didn't say. I think oftentimes we think of our lives as just uh, a series of events mistakes that we made, and then those build up to then create the person that we are now. And the idea of grace is that, no, actually God is pulling you into your, your true self in the future. 
who are you in God's eyes, which is this all-consuming love and grace? Who are you created to be? That's why I think it's important for us to consider how we view ourselves and then through the lens of Ephesians, how we interact with our world. Paul wrote, if if anyone is in Christ, behold, the new has come, the old is gone, and the new has come. So you're not a collection of your past sins. You are beloved by God and being pulled into your true self by the divine. Grace moves. Grace has to mean something. When I was growing up, I was shocked at how little effect Christianity had on the world and around in my community. I thought it just kind of consisted of church potlucks and choir practice, and that was it. And I couldn't help but think, is this all we're destined for? Is this it? Is this what grace does in the world, is choir practice? Surely not, right? Surely it has to be something more. If this is it, then we need to go find a new hobby. Grace has to move. Grace has to do something. Grace has to transform us completely. So how does grace captivate you? How will you spend your life? How will you spend your days? Will this love that permeate you so deeply that it transforms everything you do and everyone around you? I think grace can change the way we see everything. It doesn't always happen, but when we get to experience it, I like the Celtic idea of thin places. Has anybody ever heard of this idea of thin places? It's this Celtic understanding of a spot or a moment in time where heaven and earth so closely touch that it's considered a thin place. Thin places are a kind of grace that throw out an old way of thinking and usher us, move us into a new way of seeing ourselves and the world. It's a thin place where heaven and earth feel like they touch. We don't always experience it, but when we do, We know it, and we can't forget it. And I think this is uh, the move in the movie Garden State. If you noticed uh, from the first scene, you have this guy, Andrew Larchman, laying in bed, and he's numb to the whole world. He goes into his cabinet, and he opens up to see a host of medications. And the basic thrust of his story was, he had a childhood trauma and was diagnosed at 10 years old and has been medicated his whole life up until the point. And he's been numb to everything. And he's received bad news and he has to go home to see his family in, in New Jersey. And while he's home, he's having to face this initial childhood trauma. He's having to face his family and his friends and everything that he had tried to leave behind there. And in that process, it's a form of waking up. And he's dealing with his emotional trauma, and he's waking up into a new kind of grace, a new kind of being and experiencing the world. Uh, He had been so numb, just so distant from everything that had happened in his life that he had never really experienced um, relationship and being in touch with his senses. So I want to watch this um, scene. It's kind of towards the end of the movie. It won't give away anything, 
Uh, but I want you to notice how he's different from that initial scene and what his, uh, what his emotional state is like and how he kind of is in the world. Let's watch this. Bye. Hey, Albert. Yeah. Good luck exploring the infinite abyss. Thank you. Hey. You too. The news I need, no weather report. Oh, I can gather all the news I need, no weather report. Hey, I've got nothing to do today but smile. Do 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 do, and here I am, the only living boy. Andrew is, is stepping into feeling again, and everything that comes along with that, the good and the bad, um, the emotions that come with all of that. How will you live? I think that's what Paul is, is getting to in this text. I just want to read the part of the end here. Um, he says, be kind, be compassionate, forgiving to each other in the same way that Christ forgave you. Put aside all the bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, slander. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ. Paul knows uh, that there's tragedy and suffering. He's writing from prison. Um, but he's saying, how will you live? How will you live your life? How does grace move in you? Will you, will you walk through life holding on to the same old bitterness and resentment? 
or will you be pulled into the grace of the infinite abyss? Will you harden yourself to the world, or will you search out for the thin places where heaven and earth collide every day without you even noticing? So church, may we be moved by grace this morning, and may our lives be characterized by love, and may we never stop exploring the infinite abyss. Let's pray. God, sometimes we just feel numb. Uh, we don't understand the, the point of life. We don't understand uh, where it's all going. But you call us to a deeper grace. Uh, when we feel broken and insecure and our self-portrait looks really grim, May we be reminded that you see us as pure and holy and blameless and loved. That your grace goes so deep that even though we often don't feel it, we know that it's there. So may we be reminded of that today and this week and always. And may our lives be characterized by your deep love for us. And may that love touch and change everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.